The subjects discussed in this podcast are sensitive and at times may be uncomfortable and controversial. The intent is not to teach or educate. The intent is to provoke independent thought through faith to better understand our differences and embrace them. Human conservation faces the challenges of today's society head-on by leaving our comfort zones and having the courage to discuss difficult subjects that keep us all divided. Pull up a chair and join me at the table as we search for ways to better connect with one another. The Human Conservation Podcast with host Reverend Corby Willette. Restoring faith in humanity by exploring the paths of culture, history, science, nature, and spirituality. Promoting human conservation through human conversation. Welcome back to the Human Conservation Podcast. I can hardly believe we are at Season 3. I hope everyone had a great back half of their summer. I know I did. I saw a few more concerts. I spent some time with friends and family up in Lake George. I was also down on the Jersey Shore for a little while. I laughed a lot. I cried a little. My daughter started her career in social work. My son's been banging away on his drums. But all in all, I had a fantastic summer. And I hope your summer was good as well. Uh, This season, we're definitely going to keep the momentum going, and we're going to be focusing on faith and the different ways that we can make the world better for everyone. I've upgraded my technology a bit so we can look forward to having some guests this season. I know we're going to have artist Michael Bonafini coming in at some point, and I have a couple of more in the works, so you can look forward to that. If you feel like you have something to contribute to the conversation, always feel free to reach out to me, and we'll see if we can make it work. Comments and suggestions, as always, can be sent to HC, that's H as in Hector, C as in Charlie, podcast at Corby, C-O-R-B-I-E-Y dot com. So comments, suggestions, podcast at Corby dot com. I'm also pleased to announce that sometime in October, I'm launching my YouTube channel with my son. It's called The Average Joe and JMO Show. We're going to be getting up to all kinds of father-son shenanigans. We do a lot of cooking, music, fishing, and there's going to be many weekly spots, so you definitely want to stay tuned for that. Um, If you're new to the show, welcome. If you like what you hear, there's lots more in the first two seasons, so you might want to go back and give them a listen. And that's the catch-up. Let's get season three kicked off with today's episode. We're going to be talking about taking God by force. Now, I want to start by reading a passage from the Gospel of John. We're going to be in chapter 6, and we're starting at the beginning, verse 1. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up, he saw a great crowd coming toward him. He said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than a half year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many people? Jesus said, 
Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed them to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign that Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Now almost anyone who has any knowledge of Christianity has heard this passage in one form or another of how Jesus fed 5,000 with five loaves of bread and a couple of fish. And most of the time it's used to convey that God will come through when you have very little, or it's used as a basis for stating that God is a sufficient provider. And these things aren't to be missed, for they're important elements of the story. But now, this passage in the Bible is always one that the non-believers love to pick apart. But before we dive into this scripture, I just want to say this, that whether he fed 50 or he fed 5,000, it doesn't really change the story much. But today I want to focus more on what verses 14 and 15 say. After the people saw the signs that Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is a prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Jesus knew they intended to come and make him king by force. Why would they want to do that? And why is that important to us? Well, why would the people want to make Jesus king by force? Well, we were just talking a moment ago about the naysayers. Well, the fact that they wanted to make him king by force validates that they witnessed something extraordinary, and they were wowed by what they had witnessed. The people that bore witness to this event no doubt wanted Jesus to stay forever and be at their disposal. They watched this guy take enough food to feed a family, and then he fed a great multitude of people. They must have been asking questions like, what else can he do? And saying things like, as long as he's around, we're never going to want to labor for food. We're never going to have to worry about bad health. All the while, they're failing to realize that Jesus didn't come into the world for power or world domination. Jesus wasn't interested in being a king, at least not in the earthly capacity. He knew who he was. He knew he was the son of God. He came to show mankind that there was a way to happiness, regardless of who they were or what their station in life was. And I got to believe like the next day, once they realized that Jesus had left, I imagine that there was some of the multitude didn't feel very good about it. I imagine some of them may have felt like disappointed. Listening to him preach, they must have felt so hopeful. They wanted this life that he spoke of, peace, freedom, happiness. It all must have sounded so good. They must have been dumbfounded. They wanted him to be their king. Why wouldn't he want that? But Jesus was changing the world. The people couldn't understand how selfish what they were doing was. He couldn't stay in one place and govern people. 
He had to show himself. In order for the gospel to be preached throughout the ages, he first had to be the gospel. He didn't come to save a handful of people in a small town. He came to save all of us. And we do this in our own lives too. It happens a lot in new Christians. When we first feel the presence of God in our lives, we're so elated and filled with hope for the future that we try to make God and Jesus our Savior by force. We want him to stay here, work miracles in our lives. And when he moves on to the neighboring town, we kind of get insecure with God. This is quite a normal thing with all of us. It's really a psychological issue more than a spiritual one. Have you ever met somebody new, and by the end of the day you thought to yourself, wow, that was an awesome person. I really had a good time. And that person said or did something that made you so happy or really lifted your self-esteem that you wanted to keep it right there. You don't want that person to exit your life, so you smother them until they withdraw to the mountains. And then we're left with a feeling of insecurity. And don't think that we don't do this to others as well. Come on, everybody has that person that they love deep down, but they give the eye roll whenever they come around. We can also do this with experiences as well, not just people. Every place that I've ever had the good fortune to visit in my life, I've said, wow, I want to come back here next year. Even though the world is full of amazing places, we want to return to the same place. Why? Because at the time, we feel tender about what we just experienced, and we want to make it king by force, rather than letting the Spirit of God lead us to where is next. I mentioned last season that I had the experience of diving in a shark cage. It was a bucket list experience. It changed me in a positive and spiritual way. God showed me something about myself that day. The feeling was incredible. It was so incredible that I went six years in a row and never even came close to having the same experience as I did on the first trip. I think this is because what God was revealing to me at that moment was already revealed. There wasn't anything more, but I kept trying to recreate something that touched me deeply. In short, I was no longer letting God have control. I was trying to make this experience happen over and over again to create my own happy place. This is the birthplace of insecurity. Jesus had to withdraw. If he allowed himself to be made king, he would have condemned those people to a life not of happiness, but misery. That's right, because those people would not have been their own had they made Jesus king. But at this crossroads we find ourselves at, there is good news. When I was young, I used to hear the gospel referred to as good news. And if I was in dark times, I would remember it and think, they refer to the Bible as good news. Well, a lot of good it's doing me right now. Or, how is praying going to get me out of the situation that I'm currently in? Or better yet, How is God going to take this pain away that I'm feeling? Anyone ever feel like that? Has anyone ever felt like God's withdrawn from their lives? I know for a fact that people have, because if they didn't, there would be no suicide, depression, or loneliness in this world. Now, I want to jump ahead really quick in the Gospel of John. Um, We're starting in chapter 14, verse 15, and it reads, 
If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, but it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. When we sort through all this official-sounding, archaic language, it simply says, If you love me, right? By keeping my commands, and those commands are what? Love thy God, love thy neighbor. Those were the greatest commands. If you love me, I will love you and send the Holy Spirit to guide you. And if you love me, I will be with you forever in your heart and tell you the right way to go. Now we're going to jump up to John 16 real quick. A little while you will see me no longer, and again, a little while you will see me again. So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while you will not see me, and again in a little while you will see me, and because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, What does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, Is this what you're asking yourselves, what I mean by saying a little while you will not see me? And again, in a little while, you will see me. Truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that that human being has been born into this world. So also you will have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. On that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy may be full. Okay, what this passage is talking about is things coming full circle. Again, putting it in simple terms, there's three reassurances we hear in this scripture. First being that after his death, they will see him again. That when he passes, he will go away for a time, but one day they're going to see him again. The second reassurance is that they will find that what we will find ourselves in times of sorrow, pain, and anguish. He uses the woman in labor metaphor to illustrate this point. Many times in my life I have heard that childbirth uh, was described as unimaginable pain, the worst that there is. Biblically, it was a curse by God. Now, I'm not going to go into the literal versus symbolism argument now. Whether or not it's a literal curse or it's symbolism, we're meant to, to understand the severity of pain that we may face that will come and be brought into joy that these trials and tribulations that we're going to face are simply small potholes in the road, 
They can be devastating bridge collapses, but there is a promise that joy will be restored in our lives if we stay the course. And lastly, the third reassurance that we receive is that one day there will be nothing more to ask of God. Our needs will be met, so ask away now while we're here on earth, and he will answer. So when you lose a loved one, either to death or maybe you drifted away, or you have that beautiful experience that you just want to last forever, let go. Don't stop caring, loving, or missing that person or experience, but just let go. Because those things are going to be restored when the time is right for each of us. Instead, look forward and let the Holy Spirit guide you. This year alone, I have forged some pretty awesome relationships. Some are people I never knew. Some are people from my past that I had lost touch with long ago. I even have a friend, Jay, who shares his love with God with me every morning. It could be a scripture, uplifting song, or maybe just an idea that came to him during his own reading. This is a guy I haven't seen in probably 30 years. We didn't hang out. We didn't even like each other much. That's the honest to God's truth. There's another girl, Deirdre, I haven't seen in 40 years, who's provided some much-needed laughs and kindness throughout the year so far. You know, it doesn't take a super genius to understand that everything in this world operates in circles and cycles, and sometimes those people come back around. So going back to Jesus, when Jesus withdrew those people that were still there the next morning, dumbfounded and upset that he was gone, were probably there for selfish reasons. I know it sounds like a bold statement, but the ones that were really seeking God probably left before he did, returning to their homes filled with hope and not insecurity. Insecurity is the devil's tool. When people come to me with good news, especially if it's news that they're coming out of strife or they're lifting themselves out of a bad situation, I always caution them because when you start walking the road that leads to God, the devil is going to take notice. As the apostles were distributing the bread and the fish to the people, the devil was also sowing doubt. They were reminding people of the things that they had done, the people that they had hurt the failures that they had, distractions, temptations, all of it, all of it is the devil's work. Now let's jump back into the here and now. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, TikTok, you name it. Has anyone ever posted something and determined what the success was by the number of likes you got or by the comments that were left? Felt bad that certain people didn't put a like on your post? Or that they only liked it, they didn't love it? In the last hour of writing this section, I checked my phone three times on something I posted last night. Seeds of insecurity. Now I have to go off on a quick tangent. Social media, while it can be cruel, is not in itself evil. It's no different than any other place. See, social media is a place. Just like going to Ireland or Africa or wherever, it's a place. And there are many paths that we can walk in cyberspace, but it's up to us to walk the ones that lead to kindness, to dignity, to righteousness. Like I said before, I forged some beautiful relationships and they wouldn't have been possible without social media. And I wouldn't have been able to stay in touch with people otherwise. 
So to label Facebook and Twitter the devil's instruments really isn't fair. Everything can be used by the devil and God alike. It's up to us. It's about us and how we choose to conduct ourselves on these platforms that really matters. But getting back on track, when we're doing anything important in our lives, we usually do a great deal of preparation beforehand. At least that's the theory. So it stands to reason that we should do preparation in our spiritual lives as well. When we don't, one of two things happens. Either we gravitate to God when times are hard in our lives, and when things are going well and we don't feel like we need them, we put them away until the next time things get tough. But worse, we could hold on to God in the good times because we feel blessed. But when storms come, we feel abandoned by God and we don't draw close to him. That's when the devil can really kick you in your teeth. When insecurity takes root and we don't feel like we're worthy of God's grace. If you understand that our lives are going to have seasons, some good, some bad, If we take the advice from Joseph way back in the Old Testament, you store up in times of plenty, so when famine strikes, you will have plenty to make it through. If we understand this, then there's nothing to fear from hard times. That doesn't mean it's not going to hurt when you lose a loved one. Doesn't mean it won't hurt when you're facing a divorce. Doesn't mean you won't struggle with addiction. It means whatever comes your way, You are secure in faith that God will not forsake you and he has your back. In closing, I want to say this. We all deal with feelings of insecurity, everyone. No one is confident all the time. I don't care who you are. I just watched a fabulous documentary about the ultimate warrior. He was a professional wrestler like in the late 80s and 90s that was almost like a superhero status. Every kid idolized this guy to a point. His popularity even rivaled Hulk Hogan. He had so much energy, and this guy was chiseled out of stone. I mean, he had the body of a god on Mount Olympus. And I learned watching this documentary that this guy was nearly paralyzed by insecurity in his own life. Throughout his whole life, we all deal with it. When I aired my first podcast and I saw that after a week I had six downloads, I was really down and I said to myself, geez, I thought it would do at least a little bit better than that. I was pretty bummed out and and the insecurity led me to doubt myself, but something extraordinary happened. One morning I heard a ding on my phone and I saw a message from a friend deep in my past, someone I never would have thought would have listened to my podcast and it said, hey man, I just wanted to tell you I loved your podcast. Keep it up because you have a way of making sense of some of these things to me. This is episode 28, I think. That little seed was enough to drive that insecurity away. I still get messages of encouragement after each episode and dare I say, I get some negative ones too, but I prepare myself for those. I store up the good because I know I have a God that has my back. Don't ever hold back your kindness because it can be a real difference maker to someone who is wrestling with their own insecurities. Make sure you let people know if they've added some value to your life. When you do, you just may add value back into theirs. When your memory brings you back to something you miss, 
Instead of wondering whatever happened to that long-lost friend, find out. Find out for yourself. Send him a message. Reach out and don't cop out because it may make a difference in somebody's life. And that's about going to do it for today. Next week, we're going to be talking about pastors and church leaders um, and how they can come in different forms and what are they responsible for and all kinds of that good stuff. As we get started on season three, I do want to take a moment uh, and send gratitude to all of those that have supported me so far. This is a lot of fun for me. I hope you all get something out of it. And I look forward to rolling off another 12 episodes in season three. And again, my YouTube channel with my son will be launching sometime in October. You're definitely going to want to check that out. My son is definitely my best friend and there's going to be a lot of humor in it. There's going to be a lot of value in there. So so stay tuned for that. As always, thanks for stopping by to give me a listen. If you like what you heard and you want to support the show, make sure you give it a like and hit the subscribe button. This will get the word out and help others to find the podcast. If you'd like more information about me or how to book my services, you can find it at corby.com, spelled C-O-R-B-I-E-Y.com. And if you want to join the conversation, comments and questions can be sent to hcpodcast at corby.com. And that'll do it. I hope everyone has a blessed and fruitful week, and remember to be kind to one another, listen to one another, and try to understand one another, because human conservation can only come about through human conversation.